Hey, winos, we're back with the second part of episode 13, our special crossover episode in collaboration with the Teaching Artistry with Courtney J. Body podcast. In this half, we're talking about all things arts education. So grab your rose and let's go. What's the topic of the day? Well, we've never really talked about, like, arts education at all on the mm. show, and I feel like if we're going to do it, like, it's got to have some tie-in with, like, intersectional feminism, Let's and teaching is just a really interesting field in general, because, mm-hmm. yes, it is predominantly dominated by women, but it's also, like, incredibly racist, like, it's history, and... That's probably why we're also underpaid. Huh. <laughs> mm. Everyone... I mean, a good yeah. chunk of the oh, field. Yeah. What we you mean because it's because it's dominated by, by women. like women. <laughs> like that's a good place to start. Color. Like we were, I was having a conversation earlier about how in some cultural organizations, so not just like art education based organization, but cultural organization, mm-hmm. you'll often find out the education slash programming department are actually some of the lowest paid people in the entire organization, mm. including people who have similar job functions. You're talking them. about in comparison to like development people and stuff? The development yeah. department, the communication yeah. department. Yeah, 100%. People talk and then you find out what other people's salaries are and you're like, wait a second. And I think part of that, I feel like this, is that a, this field is at a really interesting intersection of like, what are the three like lowest paid people in the country? Artists, educators, and folks in nonprofit. Yeah. So we're like right there at a cross section. So you talking about like women are typically underpaid anyway. So sometimes I wonder, because then sometimes some of the men in the field, you'll be like, whoa, your salary was way higher than everybody else's. So I just wonder if it's like, but that's that, interesting. Think connected for a field dominated by women that they Yeah, but are those women in power? Well, are that, they at yeah. the top or the, because like our institutions, if you think about the larger institutions, they're all run by men. Are mm-hmm. we talking about, can we, are we naming names? No. We, we could. Um, uh, oh, we're talking about like America Lincoln Center? No. What? Yeah. Carnegie? I mean, we could talk about New 42. Okay. You can I talk mean, about the New 42. it's true. Are you yeah. naming where you work? Wait. I, 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 I would talk about where I work, where I work all the time. <laughs> I don't want to name okay. where I work. A you can look it up. Usual guys. search. You can again. Determined. I'll say it again. You Just can go Google Erica Atkin, <laughs> arts education. You'll find several things. Do your Bing search. Ask Jeeves. You'll find out. This is this <laughs> a whole joke Jeeves. on the last episode. Jeeves is still Remember around. Jeeves? I think. Is he? I think he is. Poor okay, let's Jeeves. find out. Now no we gotta know. Now we gotta take a quick. This is, um, let me go find out it's at g but it, but it is it at a at a we are i mean we can look at our political election cycle right now kamala harris her campaign came to an end yeah. yesterday mm-hmm. and so the one like how exciting was it to have a black woman i'm tired of saying people of color for a second so a black woman mm-hmm. actually in the running to be our candidate, a presidential it candidate. Well it was polling bit. well. And now we've got... Elizabeth a, Warren. Well, no, I was actually... Yes, we have Elizabeth Warren, but we also have... Uh, what's his name from Indiana? Who oh, literally... Mayor Pete? Yeah, is the mayor of a town that is the, si- the same size as my district in Brooklyn. 
200,000. I live in a district, in a borough, in a city that has the same amount of people in his city. Mm -hmm. Why is this man number four in the, why? I'm looking at you. I first off, let me just. I'm not asking you to. My question is, why isn't Andrew Yang higher? But anyway, that's a whole other subject. I mean, and and, like, can we talk about Bloomberg? Okay. So at the same time that Kamala's shutting it down, Mike Bloomberg is coming into play. It's like what's I love that every time a New York City mayor runs, though, all the New Yorkers are like, "Oh no, No, don't. We'd rather you not." Yeah, we're like, please don't. Like, we don't. We don't help the case. We're like, we'd rather he not. Do you hear us, America? Don't, don't. don't. (laughs) But yeah, I I was I I was liking him when he was ready to like fund everything. This like fund it, but don't. Don't. <laughs> I know. I mean, it's not surprising to me, the, the landscape of leadership. But it's interesting, though, because I do feel like when I think about where have I seen more female leaders, it is in the arts and it is in arts education. That's yeah. why I've seen more female leaders. Well, it's a good point that you brought up that the major cultural center is dominated by men because I never really think of arts education as those and maybe it's because we're so deep in it that I'm like, oh, all the arts ed places I know who are actually doing like the grassroots work are all run by women. Yeah. But you made a really good point. People with all the money are dominated by men. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. a really good. Currently. Yeah. Currently. Yeah. I, you know, I. Uh, <laughs> so <laughs> as a black woman, I do have these conversations as well on my podcast. It is it does often through my lens or I'm ha- I have. I just had Michael Wiggins on my Love podcast and that mm-hmm. that episode was four hours. I've Whoa. only released two of two of the acts. The others will come out at another time. Michael Wiggins always has so much to say, but all of it is so good. It's Did you all, guys take I rode the subway home with him one time and uh-huh. it was like the best ride of my life. <laughs> <laughs> Did you guys take a break during that four hours? You just sat there. Uh, we might have taken a break. It was last spring. It was a it was a lovely day. He came over early. It was early in the day, so and he didn't have anywhere else to be, but finally he was like, I have to go to the gym. Do we want to say who Michael <laughs> Wiggins is real quick? Sure. Michael Wiggins is an arts educator. He's been a teaching artist. He was an artistic director. He's an actor, director. He is a instigator and an agitator. Advocate. Yeah. He's advocate. He's advocate. Yeah. He is a beautiful black gay man. And He's the one who told me that I would I uh, recommend actually listening to my podcast, yeah. <laughs> Teaching Artistry, episode 24. So it just came out in November. He's the one who actually told me that I was um, a pragmatic progressive. And I was like, oh, right. Because mm-hmm. I've always like been frustrated with people. Like, I'm not not progressive, guys. He's like, no, you're just like pragmatic about like yeah. how it should be done. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, right. Yeah, no, he, he's a good reader of people and can tell, like, hold a mirror to you and tell you all the great things that you are. And then also say, you should do this. I said to him, I need a pocket version of him so I can carry him around with me because he tells me how great I am all the time. Oh, and you need good. that. You need that. Yeah. You do. <laughs> anyway, so so we talk a lot about racial inequities and, you know, paradigms and institutional racism uh, a lot. And he always has it says, talks about it in much more eloquent ways than I do, but also says things in a way that you're like, what? <laughs> like, just turns your head sometimes, but it makes you think. It does. And I think for me, like, I think about when I think about the art, a lot of like 
my bosses and a lot of the people who I've seen at the organization that I've been at who have been leading have been female. But then it's also interesting to think about like there are still structures that are in place. I think what's interesting that's happening in our field right now is that there's kind of like a passing of the torch happening a little bit between generations kind Mm of. And so like it kind of reminds me of like Hillary Clinton, right? Where people like hated her because she represented an old god, but in order to get as far as she did in the field, mm. she actually had to like embrace a lot of those like policies and standards mm. and et cetera, so mm-hmm. that people would accept her. She had to get accepted first, right? And then, and then that allowed more women to come behind her and then be like, but actually we don't really like that anyway, so we're just going to tear <laughs> some of this down and move yeah. that around, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And I feel like I see the same thing happening in our field, that like certain like organizations and structures, like things were put in place because it was like, well, this is how you do it and this is how you run an organization and we need to be accepted and respectable and this is how you do it. But mm. now a younger generation is starting to come into leadership and be like, but do we really have to do that practice that way? And does that policy really have to be written that way? Right. And like, does it, did that really need to happen that way? And it's like, oh. And so it's been interesting to watch and kind of, I guess, be a part of it too. Yeah, I think it's interesting because I'm older than both of you, but not, uh, I well, I don't know. I don't know if I'm a different generation, but I, there is something about like this whole fight between boomers and millennials. I'm neither. I'm Generation X. I know. I love the memes <laughs> with all like the genetic, like watching boomers yeah, and millennials like, uh, fight. Like there's no, an article that I just read about like the Gen Xers are here and we're listening and we're we're not the boomers at all. And they say that the Gen Xers are the happiest people. <laughs> of the two of those two of the generations like we're the happiest and we're like doing all those things like we are shifting what it looks like to be a senior citizen because the top tier would be like michael wiggins Mm -hmm. so you're like like uh, upwards of like almost 50 or in in early 50s Mm -hmm. and i'm at the top at the bottom tier of it which i won't say how old i am okay 25 Ah. 16 <laughs> but so I, I i started in this field in 2001 my first face-to-face conference was 2001 and there's something i think you said erica about how there are more there are more women in this field or more women in leadership positions and from then 2001 to now i feel like i have definitely seen a big shift not only in who is in the field and what they look like, but what we're talking about in our, when we convene. And I, I would like us to continue to be having the conversations about the workplace and the, and the field in terms of the makeup of the field and Mm -hmm. what we think as a field is important to be pushing towards. I think that, you know, programmatically really interesting work is happening and yeah. that, that growth is ha- is really strong. But I, th- I think you made a good point, Katie, around like who or somebody said, you know, who is delivering the work versus who 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 and what the, the communities look like that we're mm-hmm. and that paradigm is really blaring glaring yeah yeah Yeah. there's not a lot of infrastructure for like training that leadership you know what i mean they're like getting those folks prepared for like even just teaching artists i Mm -hmm. mean like 
getting teaching artists in from these communities, like students to grow into teaching artists, mm-hmm. to grow into program yeah. leaders. There's not a lot of that there infrastructure. Isn't. So that's how people swoop in and take these leadership positions. Right. So, I mean, I think, I think a couple of things, it's like, you don't know what you, what you can't see. Like you can't be what you can't see. Yeah. So if, if you're not seeing or getting experience or having opportunities to learn about the behind the scenes, and you are a person of color who who's you know got a lot of responsibilities you may be on your own you may be responsible for your family so going into a field where you're not going to get paid a lot is not necessarily the thing get, you're going to yeah, do you're gonna get gonna overworked yeah. so well, and, easily and go overworked and yeah. underpaid right and that's so I, that's my big thing the the you know so and there's like the what people do understand they understand the medical field they understand banking they understand mm-hmm. law like they they those are fields that people get yeah yeah and they also know that those are fields where people can make money Right. And get why they're yeah. important. And get why they're important. And I don't know, sometimes what I struggle with is I don't know if I, in good conscience, can tell a young person from a, going back to the pay thing, who come from a lower socioeconomic mm-hmm. background, be like, yeah, go into the art. I'm like, I, I think about why I was able to do that. I come from a middle class, upper middle class background, mm-hmm. and my parents honestly were floating me probably until like five years ago. <laughs> like if I, if, if anything big mm-hmm. came up, Mm-hmm. they would pay i paid right. for like my outright day-to-day but anything big they covered yeah and like even in a day there's still a few things that they might cover for me and mm-hmm. then so i don't know if i like in good conscience can tell somebody like if i do tell you i'm gonna tell you like the whole reality of yeah. like what that means no, because totally it's, like, it's like an under like i said it's an underpaid field so i feel like mm-hmm. that's another optical that's in place to bringing people in because even if they fall in love with it they might be like well it's good as a hobby but like not as a career right there's just so much and writing if you have a lot writing on it or you know especially in some cultures where you'll be expected to be responsible for your family at some point like mm-hmm. you are expected to take care of your parents yeah. at some point then yeah. yeah then you need to like be able to make money because at some point you're going to be expected to take care of your parents right and so like I was just having a conversation with my parents at a recent holiday that I won't say because I want to be vague for whenever this episode comes out about how it's like, look, guys, I work in the nonprofit and arts education. Well, we and are- dad, you have three retirements. I don't know. I can't put you in a home. I don't know what to tell you. Like, because it's like, I don't, I don't, I don't make anyone. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, we already know when this episode's coming out. It's Ge- gonna, this is 2020 when you're listening to this. Oh, you're listening. It is 2020. January 2020. So right. we put that huh. sell-by date on this episode. Boom. So, so when it's March, sorry. Um, no, I'm kidding. Uh, but yeah, no, I think though, like that's a, like that's a reality of working in this field. Until you hit a certain level of position, I think yeah. once you hit a certain level, you're like, okay, I think they're starting to come together. Yeah, but there's, yeah. a big, there's a big struggle, yeah, no. and there's a huge jump that you take. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know how to solve for salaries. I tend to focus a lot on teaching artists and pay rates and mm-hmm. equity around that but it's still it's still challenging right because if the if the full-time staff aren't getting paid what they're worth yeah you can almost guarantee that the teaching artists yeah if they're working as part-time staff that those rates pay rates are not going to be strong yeah which is why there's so much need for a share a shared workforce 
in terms mm-hmm. of teaching artists. Mm-hmm. I'm curious about, yeah, transparency. I mean, we, we definitely know that once, you know, people start talking about it and you're like, we have the same title. Why is our salary not the same? Mm-hmm. If we work in different departments, that there has to be more transparency about like it shouldn't be about where you're working but that you're working for the same company doesn't matter what type of work you're doing there should be i think clarity and, and parity parity is that the right word yeah yeah, yeah. that's what um, my organization has and been like working that's toward. definitely like that's even true of like senior level staff because mm-hmm. if you're promoted versus you're hired into a position your salaries could be different Right, because whatever position you had previous to then having a senior level, there the company might decide, well, we'll give them a certain percentage in, of an increase rather than bringing them to the same levels as other mm-hmm. people with the same title, regardless again of the department that they live in, they're working in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't think that that's a great practice, but that's a cost-cutting practice. Mm-hmm. And then you have the you know the disparity between. What is it? The I don't know. I remember the the exact. Is it seventy nine cents to the dollar mm-hmm. that a white woman makes? Seventy nine cents to the dollar mm-hmm. that a uh, that a white woman, uh, sorry, a white man makes, and black women make. I believe it's um, sixty nine yeah. or sixty five. Yeah, sixty six. But is maybe sixty six. Yeah. I knew it was sixty something. And that Latina women make less than that, and Asian women make less than that. That is a problem. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and for the nonprofit world to perpetuate the same bullshit that mm-hmm. is happening in cor- corporate America mm-hmm. means that you know how how and why nonprofit was started was out of uh, yep. well i learned this from michael wiggins uh, it came out of brown versus the board of education mm-hmm. and yeah so so there's a lot of things that are like holding people back in, in many different ways one it's just like where is the money coming from you don't have enough money to do the work so maybe you need to re- rethink how you're set up to you know we need to shift how we think and like I, I feel like there's there's a thing that the nonprofit world could do that the country is not doing, and actually if we could change that paradigm, to say fuck the the rest of the world, we're gonna change and start to lead from behind, to then lead lead, right. if that makes sense. Like we're already behind. That's what I mean. Yeah. By lead by behind, but actually say, you know, we're gonna change the paradigm here. If we, if we change it in this sector and start talking about it, maybe there'll be other sectors, other industries that can make some shifts as well. I mean, because the funding model is broken. Well, the that's where, that's immediately broken. where my yeah, head the funding model goes. Insane. Like, that's not sustainable fund. When you hear of a nonprofit that's been around for 50 years, you're like, good for you. Because yeah. yeah. the funding model is not, is not mm-hmm. working out in any of our favor. And the whole programming, the fundraising, the admin allocation, like I can't even, <laughs> like you're basically expecting me to Erica's do in a wormhole right now. all I'm of this good it. work. It's insane. Yeah. All of this good work with no infrastructure. Right. That's and, and then you have the fund, the foundations who are saying, what new programs are you doing? Yeah. Not, Funding the things that you're already doing that are, are going mm-hmm. really well. Mm-hmm. So we can't create new programs until we get the things that we're already doing funded for. But yet you won't give us money for that. So now we're making new programs and these other yeah. things are f- so our general operating processes or budgets are suffering 
there's also overhead for like the 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 venues or the spaces that you're renting or holding or it honestly makes it impossible to like read to talk about you're talking about the nonprofit sector like remaking how leadership is and and the scale but it's it makes it almost impossible when you consider where the money comes from right and and what we have to answer to in order to make our programs happen so what do we do what do we do y'all so what do we do? So that question back. So so I uh, the reason why I was asking was to go back to women, actually, and just curious about both of your organizations. Like women are in leadership positions. I know I know your executive director. I, we we have a partnership. I do. Um, Our and, organization and developing a top the head secret of your project. Your organization is also a woman. Woman. Women. We had a woman. And now it's a man. On our senior level staff, I think the number is 23. There's 23 of us. What about your board? Ah, board is mostly women. Mm-hmm. Uh, board chair is a woman. I think, I think our issue with the board that they're working on is diversifying mm-hmm. uh, both gender and ethnicity and nationality. Same. I would they're say our associate it. board is more diverse, mm-hmm. but our board is, yeah, that's getting there. Yeah. That's definitely what we're concentrating on as well we're having some conversation we've we've been having and are continuing to have and need to take action around a host of different kinds of training that will be hopefully um, will move us forward as opposed to be damaging around some social justice i hope and anti-racism training gender neutrality mm-hmm. that's the term right i said ne- gender neutrality to somebody and they were like what do you mean by that gender non-conforming yeah yeah but it's yeah, but it's neutrality. but to take it into a, like a topic yeah. that's larger than Not neutrality yeah, yeah neutrality yeah, i think that. as opposed yeah. to diversity yeah yeah just becoming a more an even more inclusive environment do you think that's going to help solve some of these issues that I mean talking about the speed up of what we're talking about and everything I hope so because I think the thing like we so our organization has what is known as the the DEI task force it's a group of of staff that are cross-departmental that meet to talk about our programs to learn about services people go out to workshops so there's resource sharing and mm-hmm. information recall that's not the right thing but sharing out and presenting like okay well we went to this conference or we went to this event and we learned x y and z about this topic or this accessibility method or strategy or tool and here's how we're thinking and then we discuss like how do we think we could potentially use it or what would be the next steps to move forward so much of what we focused on for the last two years has been mainly about accessibility services but it has opened up conversations that weren't happening in a sort of more official capacity but it wasn't institutional based and while it was supported by our executive team it wasn't led by them yeah so we weren't getting to that sort of institutional place now over the last year we've been tr- or so we've been trying to have those conversations without external support and it's been challenging and now we're at a place where we're trying to figure out what we can do to move forward with an external consultant but we need to find the right kind of consultant we need to better understand why what we hope to gain from mm-hmm. the other side of of this and what happens as we continue to move forward 
And so I see some paradigm shifts that are going to happen based on just the conversations that I'm already having. And I'm curious if you all have had any of those kinds of conversations in your institutions, Mm -hmm. trainings, you know, whatever you feel comfortable sharing. I'd be happy. I would love to hear. Yeah. I mean, all the time. I think though it's different in smaller organization, Mm -hmm. the way you can, the way you have those conversations, Mm -hmm. like it's not a task force. It's at least in my organization. I know Katie has had similar experiences. It's a matter of like, bringing everyone together like it's Mm -hmm. like bringing in somebody to work with the entire staff or having conversation with the entire staff because the full staff meeting is still just like 12 people right 12 to 15 people so you it actually gives you an opportunity to connect and work on a level one big thing we've been doing is we've been really conscious and thoughtful about like who's going to different trainings around Mm anti-racism around unconscious bias and how are they bringing that back to the staff and with Uh teaching artists carving out meeting in our staff time carving out uh yeah carving out uh meetings within staff meetings and then um carving out time within um retreats and etc for the entire staff to be able to work on it together because it's just it's a much since it's just a much smaller team. It's easier. Is it just easier to do it that way? Mm-hmm. Um, and and I guess since it's becoming embedded now as we continue to grow, yeah. it's already like embedded into the foundation or becoming more embedded into the foundation yeah. of what we do. And then we'll have to continue to brainstorm. Yeah, like we're already thinking about okay, if we're doing all this work, then how do we bring it to teaching? Yeah, artists, right. Yeah. Good, and good. then so we're like, okay, well, we're talking about this and this. Should we make a list of our reading resources for teaching artists? Should right. we like do this? Like, so it's interesting. I'm sorry to interrupt. But like, what's interesting is that a lot of our teaching artists have done more work than the staff have done yeah. around this through us uh, programmatically and on their own. Mm-hmm. And so one of the things that we're discussing is having teach some. Uh, so we're creating a working group to get to a place of, of starting to figure out what we want to look for and then ultimately look for that and be the search committee. Mm-hmm. And we want teaching artists to be a part of that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Same. that's been, yeah. I mean, honestly, our whole trajectory as well. The last couple of years, we did several in-house like professional developments about anti-racism, bringing in outside, outside voices, mm-hmm. and also trying to figure out this cycle of how do we elevate teaching artists as well mm-hmm. in it. And like, how do we get not just teaching artists to become admin, which seems like the, yeah. the cycle is like mm-hmm. when you can't afford to be a teaching artist anymore, you go into programs mm-hmm. and get this meager salary to like scrape by and everything. Yeah. But like, how do we sustain actual teaching artistry and level up their teaching artistry rather than make them become just admins or whatever, which for better or worse, I think we all did, you know, like in some way Mm -hmm. we were all three teaching artists who became administrators because Mm -hmm. that's the kind of the, that's been the cycle, you know? Yeah. I mean, from, yes, I made a decision a long time ago, but it was because I was going to be able to still teach. Yeah which I don't do as much, but yeah, you're right. Same though. Absolutely. That's why I, that's the only reason I took my full time is because yeah. I was like, I need to still be able to teach. Mm-hmm. I can't do this work and not still teach. Like yeah. I feel like I need to be connected to it to be yeah. able to do the work period. I mean, yeah, I think that that's another, like you're, you mentioned, you know, how do we elevate, how do we create leadership opportunities? We're always looking for that, but I think we need to level up even further than we have been. 
I don't know exactly what that is yet, but yeah. um, I, I think that this is one place for that. I have a I have a, another question because you all have been doing this work. I'm curious about something that I had a conversation today about this this specific topic and the person who said, you know, we're doing this training and she said one of the things that I, I wanted to make sure happen was that some of the trainers were white. And I'm just curious because of the fact that there have been some people on that particular team or in that organization who are white who don't think that there's an issue. And mm. so having somebody who can... I, I, you know, represent them and talk about this work she felt was important and, and hopefully would break down some barriers that potentially could have been, or obstacles that could have been in place. Have you had that experience? I don't, well, first off, I don't disagree with what you're saying at all. There's been like a lot of talk about how uh, white people need to take care of their own people, handle their own yeah. thing, but then people will be like, oh, we don't want a white facilitator. And you're like, well, that who, person... Who says that? People in different groups and uh, et cetera, like there's right. been a trend like uh, that like less... It gets said. Like less white facilitators in the room for those kind of conversations. Oh. And I understand why and like some of the best because sometimes it can just turn into like, I've been in the room for a good white spiral. Some white guilt be, coming out. Yeah, white guilt just coming out and then like being like, can I try to convince my students that not all white people are bad? And I'll be like, oh, oh God, no. not <laughs> enough alcohol in the world to get me through this conversation. <laughs> but like, I do think to your point, wow. like, I think there is something of like someone who come from a similar background with a similar experience being like hey guys we need to get our shit together I think it just depends on who the white facilitators are yeah. um, who are having that conversation I know in my organization something we've been talking about is um, is it important and how important is it to have people of different races mm-hmm. teaching side by side in front of our students mm-hmm. to model like um, like we get along. We're very different people. Yeah. And we get along. Mm-hmm. Like, is there value to that? And when we have most of our students are students of color, like, we want them to see themselves reflected in our teaching artists. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And also, though, is there value in them having white people in their life that care about them? Yeah. If they're not, like, I'm not saying I have the answer to that, but that's yeah. a big conversation that we've been having mm-hmm. as we've been like, or is our goal to be an, or eventually become an organization that's basically run by people of color, run taught from top to bottom. Is, is that our goal? There's no answer to that yeah, right now, yeah, but yeah. it's a conversation that we've been having and it's come up and it's come up in like alumni who are teaching, art, we have alumni who are teaching artists themselves now in our organization, mm-hmm. et cetera. Like they bought up like what the experience of what like of being like, who are these white people? Like, mm-hmm. I don't know. So I don't know. Yeah. 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 I don't, I don't know. I mean, we're having those same conversations of what's better. Cause when we're, when you're talking about the makeup of the city and like mirroring that versus the makeup of our schools, which are largely title one schools, which are mostly black and brown students mm-hmm. and like who's standing in front of them. I mean, for us at this point, it is about having a majority, like we're trying to train a majority POC teachers in our programs and things like that, standing in front of our students. But also, I mean, it's the same thing. How do you expose your students to multiple cultures and multiple people Mm -hmm. and learn how to like live in the world 
with multiple voices, but mm-hmm. also making sure you're not having like harmful teachers in front mm-hmm. of them Absolutely. in a way. So that's why I think it can like harmful teacher than harmful facilitator. Cause you can get a white facilitator in there, but like that person saying all the wrong stuff. Right. Yeah, for sure. And so like I, it, making sure that the people who are being brought into the room to teach and to train are like people who really know their stuff. We are reaching the end of the rosé. Courtney, you got to finish it off. You're the guest. Is that, is that, is that right? You're the guest. I'm the guest, so I get the Take last, the last swig. Shot. Should I do it right out of the bottle? Do it. That's <laughs> yeah, classy that. right there. Mm-hmm. Right there. The last of the bottle just went down. <sighs> yes. Well, this has been a, a very heavy, fascinating, interesting, <laughs> lovely conversation all around. Mm-hmm. It got heavier the the more the rosé lowered in the bottle. <laughs> That's true. That's how it you goes. Just, is, it, is it? Is that the way mm-hmm, it goes? Mm-hmm. That's good. It's the new year. Okay. It's January 2020. Uh-huh. So January. maybe we do something. We're we're watching Ooh, The Bachelor at this point. I know. I know. Why don't we do some... What's your resolution? Okay. New year, new you. Well, right. Well, currently, right now, as this release, we're watching Pete the pilot be the new bachelor. I know. How do we feel about him? So well, sexy. we feel very he, good okay. because Hannah is appearing on this season, and, this, and we don't know how. You don't you, right? I've seen the commercials because I watch ABC a lot. I watch mm-hmm. Good Morning America, and that's where it's on. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he was the. Let me just make sure because I will say, I do not watch The Bachelor yeah. or The Bachelorette or Bachelor in whatever Paradise. Mm-hmm. Fair enough. But I did this last cycle because of Rosé, yeah. because of the videos. Oh, yeah. yay. And I was like, what's happening now? And what was the So is this the guy that she, she like went on a date where they were like getting massaged and then like made out in the sauna? Yeah. And I was like, oh, that's like. Sh- and fucked you- in a windmill four times. Stop. Yeah, I and she said it that. in front of his family at the like the final like one of the final episodes. Yeah. His family was like clapping. I was like, that's so awkward. Yeah. Super awkward. Yeah, but they were like they were very sexy, right? Oh yeah, yeah. And I was like, why aren't you going for this guy? He seems great. Well, apparently now she shows back up in this season to claim her her. We we don't like know for yet. a second. I think it's a I think it's, it's an editing ploy, tease. Right? Yeah. yeah, it's an editing tease, yeah. but he does. At least say, I want you to be in the house. But she was so, also on yeah. Dancing. They film in the fall, yeah. and she was just on Dancing with the Stars. Right. So, so, like, well, so the thing is, is we did not do our videos for Bachelor in Paradise, mostly because our schedule this summer was just crazy. So we haven't done a video in a minute. So come January 6th, expect videos. Yeah. yeah. Those yeah. videos yeah. bring me life. Oh, good. Well, I don't we'll watch the back. freaking show, but I do love those videos. Okay. <laughs> That's what we hope for is to recap them for our friends who don't watch don't the watch show. That's perfect. Yeah. But want to know what's happening. In future, I'd like to be in one of them. Like, really what my dream, we have my dream be in one of them. is to do the podcast. Like, what I, I know you only did it. Maybe you don't do it this way, but to watch the show and record and for me to be the like, what's going on? I don't understand. We did that once, but we could, we should, we should do I would, it again. That's my dream, and then I want to be in the video. Great. Did we did that enough. with our friend Done. Melissa. She yeah. came and she yeah, I saw that with us, and then yes. she was in the video. Yes, yes, with yes, 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 yes. All yeah. right, well, now um, next season. Now yeah. we know. That's, and I can just be on as, as a guest of your show. I don't need to. We do could do a both. dating slash bachelor episode <gasps> and then Ooh. do a video. Okay. <laughs> 
I actually. I want to bring on good. people who will also commiserate about how terrible dating is with me. Okay, but I, I. So this is a preface, uh, not a preface, uh, a preview of what a dating topic theme could be, where I want to have a conversation about one person dating multiple people mm-hmm. for America to watch and why that it's perfectly normal. Yeah. <laughs> it's perfect, like I date multiple that. people all the time. I just don't have a camera crew following me in a, in a, a remote location. Also they're competing now. <laughs> they're competing for their affection they're, as well. They should be. And that they, they get eliminated and they all have to as, stay. As they all they have do. To, they all have to live together. Well, that's the part that they don't. They don't have to. That's that's the part that's like not quite normal. I mean, it's just basically like a commune. Like put them in Waco, and and all of a sudden they take away your phone. (laughs) They take away your computer. Yeah, all you can do is like. That's why so many of, especially the women, become good friends because like also you all dating. They just ply them with wine. They ply you with alcohol and and little food. Ply and don't make you during during those ceremonies. They actually aren't eating a lot of food, and they feed you before you go on a date. So you. Actually, aren't supposed to eat during the date. The food is just there for prop. So that's why they, it's always hilarious when you like some like, especially like the bachelor from two years ago, Ari. Mm-hmm. He used to eat, and like they were always like, "Why is Ari eating?" Because you're like not supposed to eat during the date. Oh, it's crazy. The show is crazy. Ugh, it's I insane. Never, yeah, I never. Yeah, I have no resolution for this year though. That's mine. Which oh great. Yeah, it's right, to survive. Our size. My to resolution survive. is to survive twenty twenty. I will survive. It is an election year, so yeah, surviving. I didn't even think about the election year. I was just <laughs> thinking about like my actual life coming up over the next twelve months. It's to to survive. Nice. That's my goal. Cheers. Che- cheers to that. Yeah. What about you? My real resolution is to finish editing my novel. <gasps> we so didn't even talk about that. Uh, that's a that's another that's exciting but yeah that's the goal right now how about you Courtney ooh, ooh, I, oof. well my goal is to create more mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that can look a lot of different ways create more yay mm-hmm. well cool well this has been rosé all day anyways yeah <laughs> <laughs> with Erica Atkin and Katie Rainey and our special Special, special guest, Courtney J. Body of Teaching Artistry with Courtney J. Body. Thank, Thank you for, you. yeah. Thank you for having me. This Thank has been a, a pleasure. All right. We will see you, babes, on the next one. Bye. Bye.